0: Inanna is the Venus morning star. The ancient world is 5,000 years away from us. What can we do to bridge this gap? People's thinking was shaped by their environment in the past, which was impossible to imagine. Earth is a round, tilted ball that revolves around the Sun, causing the seasons to change, and the Sun is a burning fireball that powers life on Earth. Venus rotates around the Sun, just like the Earth and our climate is not determined by angry demons or gods aiming for our misfortune through illness or beggarly. This knowledge has transformed our view of the universe. Our ancestors may not have known all this, but they still felt an urgent need to understand and explain the sinister forces that shaped their lives. People could imagine that they could make sense of and understand these forces by conjuring up a set of mischievous demons and gods. Inexplicable riddles, which seem to have arisen from cosmic laws, were answered in their myths. There are Sumerian myths concerning the creation of the cosmos and humans, as well as myths about the discovery of agriculture or the invention of the plough. In rituals, people tried to understand the effects of the cosmos on human life and portrayed events in a positive light when possible. Human experience was transmitted from generation to generation through the performance of rites, making visible the essence of the cosmos and human society. In myths, absolute truths are never discussed openly. They are not concerned with what people know about reality, but with what they think about it. Participating in actions that have a sacred meaning and are repeated scrupulously and with continuity from generation to generation and contextualizing myths in the present created a deep bond between people, providing them with hope and comfort as they faced harsh life situations. Venus As we continue our story about Inanna after discussing the young priestesses and the moon god of Ur, we pick up the thread of our story about Inanna. A deep significance was attributed to Venus's occasional erratic behavior in ancient times when Inanna was identified with the planet Venus. Due to the myths Inanna presented, people were also confronted with puzzles they could not explain in everyday words and concepts. Inanna's unexpected movements in the heavens may have contributed to the whimsical character they attributed to her. Venus is the second planet to orbit the Sun after Mercury, completing its journey in 224.65 days, and Earth is the third planet, taking 365.25 days. As a result, Venus travels faster, and is seen from Earth at one time-time of the year in the east as the morning star and at another time in the west as the evening star. People in the past thought Venus turned back on her path as a retrograde, which we now understand as a retrograde move. Venus's path in the sky can be explained by astronomers. All the planets revolve around the Sun in almost circular orbits, approximately in the ecliptic plane. The position of Mercury and Venus is closer to the Sun than the Earth, and can always be observed in the Sun's vicinity. This makes them different from the so-called outer planets in the solar system, like Mars, Jupiter and Saturn, which can be found in the plane of the ecliptic everywhere seen from the Earth, notwithstanding where the Sun is. Mercury and Venus follow the Sun's inner track, while they look like skaters on the outdoor track. Venus and Mercury appear to accelerate while slowing at other times when viewed against the background of fixed stars from Earth, a planet that revolves around the sun when both planets and the earth move in the same direction they accelerate when both move in the opposite direction they decelerate you cannot see it from the earth when venus travels between the sun and the earth or when the sun stands between venus and the earth we can observe only when venus is far from the sun venus can be seen sometime before sunrise as the morning star and sometime after sunset as the evening star since the sun rises in the east. The movement of Venus and Mercury differs from that of other fixed stars and planets. Most planets and galaxies rise in the east and circle over the dome of heaven before setting in the west. During about eight months, Venus is visible as the morning star traverses the vault of heaven. On the western horizon, it becomes visible again as the evening star after disappearing behind the sun for 80 days. Many myths are told about Inanna's journey into the Underworld when Venus was invisible in the sky. Descent to the Underworld is Inanna's most famous work. Inanna and Enki's Myth A perplexing compilation of all the ME in possession of Inanna is provided by Enhedwana, who addresses Inanna as mistress of countless ME, the uncountable laws of the universe that influenced earthly cultural heritage and included both positive and negative aspects of communal life. The ME, however, had not always been owned by Inanna, and it was known that the subterranean dwelling of Enki, the city god of Eridu, controlled the ME. According to the myth Inanna and Enki, Inanna, the city goddess of Uruk, stole the ME from Enki, so somehow Uruk came into possession of the ME. Inanna travels to Eridu to visit her father Enki in his Abzu in the myth of Inanna and Enki. Wisdom was an attribute of Enki. His subterranean dwelling, the Abzu, is said to have brought civilization to the people. The enthroned figure on sea is surrounded by spiraling streams of water on the cylinder seals. Enki sometimes spouts water from two globular vases in his hands, while two streams flow from his shoulders. Zodiac symbols. Enki are associated with the sign of Waterman, and the two rivers are the Euphrates and Tigris, which flow through the marshy delta. As a result, Inanna sets out to travel to Eridu, She does not leave for Enki's home without adequate preparations, and as the goddess of love, she first invokes all of her magical sexual powers before leaving for her home. She praises herself, full of delight at her genitals. She praises herself, full of delight at her genitals. Then she looked at, When I have pleased the N, when I have made brilliant, when I have made beautiful, when I have made glorious, when I have made young upon perfection, when I make luxurious, When I have made exuberant, when I have made shining, when I have made a return, when I have made brilliant, when I have made shimmering Enki, I shall talk coaxingly to him. In the ab, in Eridu, I shall speak coaxingly to Enki. In the ab, in Eridu." The faithful servant of Enki, Isimud, is depicted with two faces on cylinder seals. Although she is still a mile away, Enki recognizes Inanna's approach from afar. Inanna is offered butter cake to eat cool, refreshing water, and beer to drink by his servant Izimud in temporary precautionary measures. Inanna and Izimud meet before Eridu's Lion's Gate during the second millennium. Enki instructs Izimud to do what he is told. As Enki and Inanna drink beer and wine together, they compete at a particular point when they are both reasonably tipsy. Since the tablets break off at this point, it is unclear how this competition is conducted, but when the text is readable again, Enki appears blind drunk, while Inanna steals all the ME from him. The goddess Inanna immediately hides some 100 ME after Enki hands them one by one. In the oral recitation of the myth, the entire list of ME is enumerated six times, which is tiring. It was also easier to remember due to the many refrains, and the longer the sequence lasted, the longer the listener's anticipation was kept alive. Singing is likely to have been involved. Heroism, power, wickedness, and righteousness were bestowed upon Holy Inanna, city plundering, lamentations, and rejoicing. Inanna, my daughter, will receive them in the name of my power and my ab. Inanna received deceit, rebellious lands, kindness, mobility, and sedentary living. They will be given to Holy Inanna, my daughter, in the name of my power and my ab. Inanna was gifted with the skills of a carpenter, coppersmith, scribe, smith, leather-worker, fuller, builder, and reed-worker, my daughter Inanna, my daughter in the name of my power and my ab. Inanna received wisdom, attentiveness, sacred purification rites, the shepherd's hut, heaps of glowing charcoal, the sheepfold and reverence and awe. They will be given to holy Inanna, my daughter, in the name of my power and my ab. The bitter-toothed Inanna received a fire that is kindled, the extinguishing of fire, hard work, a family gathered together, descendants. For the sake of my power, before my God, I will give them to Holy Inanna, my daughter. It was a time of strife, triumph, judging, comforting, and decision-making for Holy Inanna. For the sake of my power and Ab, I will give them to Holy Inanna, my daughter. Izimud says that Inanna has left with the boat of heaven heading toward Uruk-Kulab when Enki wakes up from his intoxicated sleep and asks where Inanna has gone. Enki asks where Inanna has left since she said she would wait to leave for uruk kulaba Izimud answers that Inanna has left with the Boat of Heaven heading toward uruk kulab After vomiting, Enki asks Izimud about the location of his M.E. after his head is clear. Upon hearing that Inanna had taken them to the Boat of Heaven, Izimud dutifully informs his master. Izimud responds to each query by saying that Inanna has taken the item in her boat from Enki's list of M.E. enumerated. I refer to all the essential religious institutes in which Inanna participates. The many repetitions likely reinforce ME's status. Where is the office of on priest, legal priest, divinity, the great and good crown, the royal throne? They have been given to my master's daughter. Where are the noble scepter, the staff, the crook, the noble dress, the position of a shepherd, the position of the king? My master gave them to his daughter, the office of the A.G.I.Z priestess, the office of the Nindijir priestess, the office of the Isib priest. Are they Luma priests or Gudu priests? They have been given to my master's daughter. Where are Constancy? Down to the underworld, up from the underworld, the Kugara priest. His daughter has received them from my master. Where are the sword and club, the cult functionary Sago Sag, the black garment, the colorful garment, the ta- a hairstyle, the hairstyle? They have been given to my master's daughter. Where are the standard, the quiver, the kissing, the car kid, running? My master gave them to his daughter. Where is forthrightness, deceit and grandiloquence? The holy tavern of the car kid. They have been given to my master's daughter by his master. What is the location of the holy shrine of Nijingar? Heaven's nug gig, the art of song, loud musical instruments, venerable age. They belong to my master's daughter at this point it is only possible to reconstruct the verses from the tablets a frog sitting by the bolt of the temple door has apparently allowed inanna through the bolt so enki has inquired who was responsible for inanna's escape from the abzu izimud then asks enki how far inanna has reached with the boat of heaven detailed information on inanna's escape is dutifully and precisely reported by minister izimud Enki sends him out with several servants to fetch the boat of heaven, but when they reach the boat, Inanna announces that her father Enki cannot change his words, break his promise, and claim the M.E. back. She quickly replies to Ninuba, who appears to be beside her in the boat, saying, You have never touched water. Enki's powerful water domain was beyond Inanna's reach with these words. The same episode is repeated six times, but with different pursuers and in different locations each time. Finally, Inanna and Ninsuba reach Uruk and the myth is transferred from the cosmic plane to the terrestrial plane. With Inanna holding the ME, Uruk will enjoy power and prosperity celebrated on earth. The boat of heaven has been brought to the Gate of Joy, to Kulaba. It will pass along the street magnificently. The people shall stand in awe as it passes. Sheep shall be sacrificed and bulls shall be slaughtered. A bowl of beer will be poured by him. His drums will sound, as well as the sweet-sounding tigi instruments. My people will praise me. My greatness will be declared in foreign lands. A holy gate called Gipar Gate is brought by Inanna to the ME. However, Enki wasn't standing still either. His minister is instructed to go to the White Key in Uruk, where the boat of heaven is moored, and to express his admiration for it, which Izimud does, reciting the entire list of ME. Lastly, He refers to brewing beer in abundance, an allusion to his master Enki that will surely double up the audience's laughter. Once again, there is a break in the tablet and when the text becomes readable again, Enki is clearly addressing Inanna. Unfortunately, the last part of the myth has been severely damaged and we learn that a festival will be held and the citizens of Uruk will retain their lives. According to Alster's interpretation, The myth explains the origin of a festival celebrated in Uruk regularly. Enki punished Inanna for stealing the ME and instituted a festival during which the citizens of Uruk were required to bring specific objects or people to Eridu during their festival, never returning to Uruk from the dwelling of Enki. In fact, all rituals are imitations of divine acts, as the movement of the goddess Inanna in the sky is imitated by the people on earth an earthly representation of her celestial journey. According to this interpretation of Alster, those who travel with Inanna to Eridu follow her path many times. Inanna has been forced to descend into the underworld, Abzu, constantly in atonement for Enki's theft of ME. Alster writes that Uruk and Abzu Eridu are more than simple worldly cities. In fact, they are two extremes of the goddess's cosmic journey, and thus, Like Venus appears and disappears in the sky every time, a continuous cycle arises between Uruk and Abzu-Eridu on a cosmic level. Inanna is forever condemned to descend into the underworld and ascend out of it. Followers of hers, who have become acquainted with the ME, are punished as they will have to procreate and die, and they will not be able, unlike the gods, to return from the underworld. Inanna will have to take the dead to Abzu, the underworld, so the living can never return there. According to Ulster, humans had to pay a high price for acquiring the cosmic ME, their mortality. Human civilization, however, would only exist with the ME because the ME describes all the norms and rules that define civilized behavior. Several similarities can be drawn between Alster's presentation of this myth and the fate inflicted upon Adam and Eve after they ate from the tree of knowledge in the Old Testament. Yahweh instructed Adam and Eve to cultivate the ground, and build a civilization laden with the knowledge of death. Ulster views me as having a dialectical nature since it is simultaneously an abstract norm, measure or plan, and any actualization of that plan. Since I am a plan that can manifest in visible form, anything existing can be referred to as me. The ME in this myth is visible when Inanna steals it from Enki and brings it to Uruk in the boat of heaven. In everything that exists, the ME is visible. With the ME of Abzu. Inanna also becomes visible in the sky, namely Venus. At this festival, people recite countless MEs repeatedly to actualize the ME on Earth. Inanna, Ukalatuda, the hymns Inanna and Ebi, and Inanna-Ningala hymn all showcase the same basic structure. Venus makes a strange journey along the vault of heaven in each case. The earthly reality was directly affected by the course of this cosmic event. This phenomenon is explained by all the myths of Inanna. Inanna's myth about the gardener Sukalatuda. There is even more significance to Inanna's role as Venus in the myth of Inanna and Sukalatuda. It is also claimed that Inanna descends from Enki's Abzu. However, now she sends natural disasters to Uruk instead of cultural goods. As a mistress of countless ME, Inanna is praised in the opening. Detecting falsehood and justice, she inspects the land closely above the mountain range. Going up into the mountains, she fulfills the ME and makes herself visible. How did one respond to another? What else did one add in detail to the other? It is the narrator who asks this question. A climb into the mountain, Kur, is what Inanna did after leaving the Iana in Uruk and her temple in Zabalam. In the next scene, the god Enki appears on the stage, but his tablets are too distorted to understand what is going on. Date palms are planted by Enki according to instructions given to a raven. An irrigation device invented in the past, the Auduf, is used by him. A long pole or branch was suspended from an upright frame. There is a reed basket hanging from the pole's long end. Short ends carry weights that serve as counterpoises for levers. The counterweight will support a filled bucket as it is raised to a higher field. Inanna and Yukaladuda's story is puzzling without this episode. According to the narrator, the god Enki invented it in ancient times according to a folkloristic tale woven into rest. Date palms are praised. Date palm mythology is based on this text according to Conrad Volk. Never had anyone seen a tree grow forever. The palm heart is surrounded by scaly leaves. Weaving material is made from dried palm fronds. The shoots of this plant are like the gleaming line of a surveyor. They are fit for the fields of a king. In the king's palace, its branches are used for cleaning. In the temples of the great gods, its dates are placed near purified barley. It continues to be narrated. What did each of them say to the other? What further details did one add to the other? The scene is interrupted by Ukalatuda. Its etymology needs to be clarified. The meaning is Wartman. Konrad Volk speculates that this meaning only developed after Inanna punished him with this condition. The god An, sometimes Enlil, was the gardener of Ukalatuda's father, Digi Sig Sig green eye. In his garden, Ukalatuda is about to water the plots, but then he does something extraordinary. He pulls them out by their roots and destroys them all. There was not a single plant left. His eyes were dust-filled when a storm wind blew from the mountain. Sukalatuda rubs his eyes to wipe it out. The exalted gods of the land of the rising sun were visible to him in the lower land. Seeing the exalted gods of the land where the sun sets He raised his eyes to the highlands. Suddenly, he saw a Gidim, a ghost. A person with divine powers appeared to him, the M.E. After spending some time in the netherworld, Inanna had just returned. After a long absence from the night sky, Venus returned. Only the single shady tree in that plot had yet to be approached five or ten times. A Euphrates poplar grew there. Its shade did not diminish in the morning or change midday or evening. This shade was an excellent place for Inanna to lay to rest. When the mistress arrived at the intertwined horizon of heaven after she had gone around the earth, and heavens after she had gone around Elam and Subir after she had gone around the earth, she was so tired that she lay down by the roots when she had arrived. The goddess lies in the shade of the tree in Ukalatuda's garden plot, perplexing him. Over her genitals, Inanna has bound the loincloth of the seven divine powers. Ukalatuda undid Inanna's loincloth and slept with her. He then returned to his plot. As soon as the day broke, Inanna awoke, inspected herself closely and discovered she had been assaulted. In a refrain, the narrator of the myth asks several times what should be destroyed because of the woman's genitals. With blood, the wrathful goddess filled the wells of the land. As a result, the orchards irrigated with blood yielded blood for consumption. People and blackheads drank blood. When she couldn't find the rapist, Inanna demanded his extradition. What did one of them say to the other? How did one add to the other in detail? He tells his father precisely what happened at his father's house. His father tells his son to hide among the city dwellers, his brothers and the black-headed people, so that woman, Inanna, cannot find him. Inanna is indeed unable to locate Sukkalatuda. The second plague was sent from that place by a cloud. She let it rain The south wind and the fearsome storm pass before her. Other unidentified figures and helpers help her recruit her votaries, the pili, and a dust storm. Once again, Ukalatuda asks his father for advice. The goddess can't find him in Uruk, where his father advises him to hide. The third plague is then sent by Inanna. Ukalatuda asks his father for advice after blocking the highways of the land. According to his father, it will only be possible for Inanna to find him in the city. A visit to Enki in Eridu's Abzu is decided upon by Inanna. That young man should be handed over to her, she asks him. She promises Enki she will re-enter the Iana in Uruk as a reward. Inanna leaves the Abzu of Eridu after Enki accepts her demand. In the mountains, the woman had found him, so he tried to make himself as small as possible out of fear. As far as the earth was concerned, she stretched across the sky like a rainbow. The south wind passed across. The north wind passed across. Ukalatuda is guilty. The tablet is then severely damaged. Inanna determines his destiny, but we don't know what he becomes. It might have something to do with his name, Wartman. While Ukalatuda must die, Inanna decides that his name will not be forgotten. You shall be mentioned in songs, making the songs sweet with your name. They will be performed in the palace by a young singer with the most pleasing voice. Shepherds sing them as they tumble their butter churns. You will be carried by a young shepherd as he grazes sheep in your honor. It will be your home in the desert palace. The Myths Interpretation Like many ancient myths, it appears to be a thrilling story, but there's more to it than meets the eye. During the Sargon dynasty, Assyriologists believe represented the tension between the Sumerian south and the Akkadians. Enheduanna's hymns exalt her vindictiveness, and this myth does the same. It could refer to the period when Inanna Ishtar was positioned in the Pantheon under the Akkadian king Naram-Sin. Inanna's rape by Ukalatuda should symbolize the rebellion of the southern city-states against the Akkadian Empire. Since she promised Enki to return to Uruk after fleeing from Ianna, it is evident that Inanna had fled from Ianna in Uruk. Ukalatuda's ability to hide in Uruk also indicates Uruk's opposition to Inanna. had taken sides with the Akkadians. Akkad loved her. Enki, however, is helping to restore the ancient order. The myth could have been written after the Third Dynasty of Ur, when the Akkad Empire had fallen, and the cult of Inanna was revived in Uruk, Inanna's ancient patron city. There is also the possibility of another interpretation. Initially, the myth describes Inanna as she manifests herself in the universe, according to Geoffrey Cooley. As the myth opens, Inanna circles above Elam and Subir's mountains in the east. Then she went to sleep in the shade of the Euphrates poplar in the garden of Sukkalatuda. When Inanna leaves the sky and earth and enters the Kur, she represents her time in the netherworld. According to Cooley, this can be interpreted as the interval between her last appearance in the west to just before her first eastern visibility. During this time, Enki and the Raven's story is inserted. After that, Sukalatuda sees the goddess for the first time. When the sun rises, he looks down, while when the sun sets, he looks up. In the meantime, he sees a lone traveling ghost, Dijidim, and recognizes her sign, Giskim. As she returned from the underworld, Inanna appeared as a ghost. Inanna was traveling from Elam to Subir, which lay east and north of Sumer, and her brief appearance in the night sky, followed by her resting on earth, describes, according to Cooley, Venus's brief appearance before sunrise in the east and her quick disappearance shortly after when the planet is lost in the light of dawn just before sunrise as described by Cooley. In the brief period after dawn breaks and the sun is actually rising, Sakalatuda assaults the goddess. Translation of the Coley, when UTU rose in the morning, it is only after sunrise that the goddess realizes this horrible truth. An examination of herself was performed by the woman. Taking a careful look at herself, shining Inanna smiled. After being enraged, Inanna searched for Kukulatuda thrice, but the woman failed to find him in the mountains. When Venus passes behind the sun, she becomes invisible for 80 days. According to Cooley. Inanna appears briefly in the Abzu, so perhaps she disappears only during the daytime when Venus is invisible. After returning from the Abzu, she stretches across the sky like a rainbow reaching the earth. As Venus never crosses the sky, Cooley believes this is miraculous. Venus is always low in the sky due to its position as an inner planet. According to Cooley, this extraordinary ability to cross the entire sky acts as a deus ex machina in the story, enabling the goddess to find her assailant, divination by the stars. In terms of interpreting the story of the three plagues, Cooley views it as related to celestial divination. Astronomers in Mesopotamia meticulously observed the movements of Venus and other celestial bodies. There are phases on Venus, just like on the Moon. The Sun shines brightly on one side of the planet, closest to the Sun, where the gravitational pull is most potent. During that time, astronomers made various divinations based on Venus having a beard. If Venus appears inside the sky and floods from the springs, the Westland harvest will prosper. Abandoned pastures will be resettled. In the myth, Inanna even enters the garden plot of Sukalatuda, for it is here that his shameful act takes place. All signs were consequently promising for Sukalatuda; his field should prosper abundantly, but he lay violent hands on Inanna. Motivation for his act is not given, but whoever harnesses Inanna and her ME will be punished severely. Ultimately, the myth of Sukalatuda must have had a signification as a fertility rite. The position of the planet of Venus was important. The allusions to dates and plants in the myth's beginning may also indicate this. Sukalatuda's garden plot was in a bad state. Not a single plant remained there. He had pulled them out by their roots and destroyed them. Then he suddenly sees Inanna lying in a plot that he had not approached five or ten times. The name of Usum Galama, this is Dumuzi's name, is mentioned. Then Sukalatuda has sex with Inanna. Maybe he was performing a fertility rite of olden times. After sowing, the farmers spent the night in their fields and had sex to magically stimulate the vegetation. Fraser has given many examples in his book The Golden Bow. Possibly in the ancient past, the En and the Nin performed the same sort of rite that would enhance the growth of the plants. Sukalatuda copulated with the mighty goddess which cannot but end in a disaster for simple humans. Only the En, as the righteous husband of Inanna, can have a sexual relationship with Inanna in the rite of the sacred marriage. After that, the goddess decides a favorable destiny for the king. People's lives end in death. So Sukalatuda had to die. But Inanna smoothed his sad fate. His name will be immortal, and live on in a song sung in the palace by a shepherd as he twirled butter and carried by a young shepherd to where he grazed the sheep. The desert palace will be his home. He will promote the welfare of the people from the underworld. As a result of his death, the king, the farmer and the shepherds will remember him. Ukalatuda's destiny was therefore in Inanna's hands. Have we here a faint reminiscence of an ancient fertility rite of human sacrifice? As a preliminary matter, we will discuss two other myths about Inanna in her role as Venus. The love lyrics of Inanna and Dumuzi songs about fertility agricultural life in ancient Sumer, was dominated by fear and uncertainty about harvest yields. It was most precarious as their existence depended on the Benwoods' benevolence for an abundant crop. They hoped the gods would be sympathetic and reward them with a prosperous harvest if they propitiated their powerful masters with prayer and offerings. As a result of their precarious situation, the peasants expressed their concerns in hymns, prayers and songs. Plants and cattle were the main subjects of their songs, and they compared nature's mysterious laws to the result of a man's and woman's sexual union. In addition to the En and Nin, familiar people believed they could help the process by imitating the longed-for fertility in various ways. While many goddesses had functions that could be helpful, Inanna was essential because she was responsible for sexual reproduction. The nudity of Inanna is like an uncultivated plot of land in urgent need of ploughing. Balbel, a lyre song. The land left fallow in the steppes is called my uncultivated land. I have a field of ducks where the ducks teem. I have a well-watered field. The maiden, Kisikil, naked, well-watered, a rising mound. On the well-watered ground I am naked. Who will station an ox there? Or in another harp song, Inanna asks her lover to make love to her. Don't dig a canal. I'll be your canal. Don't plough a field. I'll be yours. Don't look for wet ground. I'll be yours. Thousands of years of tradition must have gone into the songs that were finally recorded and preserved to our own time-time. And what has survived is just the tip of the iceberg. There were fertility songs related to wedding celebrations in which the entire village participated and conducted according to fixed ceremonial traditions. Inanna and Dumuzi's sexual union enhanced the flourishing of nature, and the more erotic their imagined encounter, the more fruitful the results. Inanna and Dumuzi's courtship was described using metaphors related to agriculture and cattle breeding, indicating that their love affair was about the agricultural enterprise's fertility. A marriage or children that would have resulted from their engagement are never mentioned after this couple's wedding. Their union remains focused on the immediate effects of their union on nature and the agricultural harvest. Every stratum of society appreciated the gifts of the amorous couple. Inanna had a lover named Dumuzi, who was a human shepherd. Perhaps Dumuzi had been married to the city goddess when he was an on-priest or ruler. For a city ruler to be legitimate, he had to keep the gods on his side so that the citizens prospered. Inanna's love for Dumuzi also appears in the delicate royal hymns performed at the court, and the theme is not limited to traditional folk songs, shepherds and farmers. A shepherd took his flock to the steppe along routes with water sources so that sheep and goats could be fed since there was not enough grass in the village. A particular animosity existed between the farmers in the village and the shepherds of the steppe since the farmers looked down upon the shepherds because of the pastoral influence in Sumerian culture. As a result, they relied on each other to tend their sheep and goats. In a song about the groom's choice for Inanna, the importance of cooperation between these two aspects of Sumerian agriculture is demonstrated. The brother of Inanna, UTU, chooses the shepherd Dumuzi as the better candidate for marriage to his sister, and has different wedding plans for her. As a shepherd, His butter and milk are superb, as well as all the work he has done with his hands. At first, Inanna shows no interest in the shepherd Dumuzi, but is enamored with the farmer Enkimdu, who cultivates flax and barley and gives her new clothing. But Inanna resists. She wants to marry the farmer, which piques Dumuzi's curiosity. Where is the farmer superior to me? Enkidu, the man of canals and dikes, where does the farmer surpass me? As Dumuzi asks, should he give me his black garment. The farmer would receive my black ewe in return. I would like to see his white garment if he gives it to me. To return the favor, I would give the farmer my white air. If he poured me his prime beer, I would return the favor. Upon receiving the farmer's excellent beer, I would give him my yellow milk. I would give him my Kisima milk if he poured me his brewed beer. My churned milk would be returned to him. If he poured me a watered-down beer, I would do the same. Should he give me his sweet pressed-out beer, I would return the favor by pouring him my grass milk. My Nunu's tea milk beastings, would go to him. The farmer I would appreciate it if he would give me his small beans. The farmer would receive my small cheeses in exchange. After eating and drinking with him, there will be a surplus of butter and milk for him. In what is he superior to me? In the end, the farmer and the shepherd settle their dispute. The farmer proposes that Dumuzi pasture his sheep on his excellent land and Dumuzi invites the farmer to his wedding feast. This story endorses the idea that the welfare of Sumerian society depends on the cooperation between the suitors for the hand in the marriage of Inanna, symbolic of the two cornerstones of Sumerian civilization, the farmer and the shepherd. Regarding beating the flax, Inanna is anxious to know who will do it for her. According to a song that continues a previous one, the sun god U.T.U., brother of Inanna, will deliver the flax needed to make her nuptial bed linen. You will receive it from me, Inanna. But Inanna was still concerned. Who would spin it for me, my brother? The sister spun to the brother. Brother, can you twine it for me? My sister, I'll bring it for you twined. Brother, who will warp it for me? If you want it warped, I'll bring it to you. If you want it woven, can you please do so for me? The woven fabric will be brought to you by my sister. The bleached fabric will be brought to you by my brother. My sister, who will lie down with me?" The bridegroom and her companion Enlil, the progeny of a king who emerged from her faithful womb, will lie with her, replies Utu. Then Inanna rejoices. He is, in fact, the man of her heart. That man who has spoken to mine, who does not, yet piles of grain are heaped up. Grain is regularly delivered to the storehouse a farmer whose grain is numerous piles high, wool-filled sheep belong to a shepherd. In other verses, Inanna suffers no doubts about her choice of husband as she is in love with the shepherd Dumuzi. Umun is the name given to Dumuzi. According to our previous discussion, the emesal is a particular form of Sumerian, and in contrast to Inanna, Dumuzi uses the common emegir, the Sumerian language. In the language of women, emesal is another word for this, Emesal means language of the woman, Eme equals sign tongue. Emesal was not only spoken by women, lamentations about the destruction of towns were also written in it, although Enheduana did not write it. Studies have shown that Emesal is not so much a women's language as it is a way to invest language with a unique emotional character. The language might still be considered a female language, however. When the gala singer sings his lamentations, she speaks Emesal the language of goddesses, not gods. Despite his feminine appearance, the gala singer is believed to be a castrate, a specialist in lamentation songs for the gods, which suited the softly spoken language of Emesal. In contrast to Sumerian, Emesal has its own proper vocabulary and pronunciation. Writing it syllabically instead of in logograms is common. Certain consonants in Emesal are substituted from Sumerian usually by shifting the pronunciation of the consonants to the front of the mouth. Assuming that UDU, sheep, is in Emesal's EZ2, as is Dug3, to be good, in Emesal's Z2, eb. Several words in Emesal do not exist in standard Sumerians, such as gasan, mistress, instead of nin. Courtship. The love songs of Inanna and Dumuzi are very light-hearted, similar to those sung during spring festivals. Villagers organized parades and danced in the fields on these festive days. As the songs and dialogue are repeated, the spectators keep time to the rhythm by clapping their hands as they sing to the backing of instruments. This love affair is played by the girl Inanna. As I, the lady, passed the day yesterday, yesterday as I, Inanna, passed the day, during the day, as I danced about as I sang songs from morning to evening, he met me, he met me. My companion, the Lord, met me. He took me in his hands, and Usum Galana embraced me. Wild bull set me free so I may go home. Companion of Enlil set me free so I may go home. What can I present as a lie to my mother? How can I present a lie to my mother, Ningal? Dumuzi knows how to resolve this problem and tells Inanna he will teach her about women's lies. She spent the whole day dancing and playing the tambourine and recorder with her girlfriend. She should tell her mother that she had spent the whole day rejoicing in this sweetness. Dumuzi says while waiting, "'Let's make love in the moonlight. You can loosen your combs on my pure and luxurious couch. I hope you have a wonderful day with me filled with abundance and joy.'" The text becomes illegible after this passage, but when the story is resumed, it is evident that Inanna has not agreed to Dumuzi's proposal. In the next part, he is standing before the gate of Inanna's dwelling to propose to her mother properly while Inanna is running about the house rejoicing. My mother would be so happy if someone told her. Water the floor from our neighbor. My mother would love to hear that ningle. Water may be sprinkled on the floor by our neighbor. There is a sweet fragrance in her dwelling. She speaks with joy. It is fitting for the holy lap, the Lord Dumuzi's son-in-law, amausam Galana, the son-in-law of Sin. What a sweet abundance you have, my lord. amausam Galana, what a sweet abundance you have. In the plain, your herbs and plants are delicious. What delicious herbs and plants you have in the plain. Dumuzi is sometimes called Amaumgalana, but its significance needs to be clarified. This name means mother, the dragon of heaven, or his mother is a dragon of heaven. In Lagos, the name Usumgal occurs in some personal names, and there was even a city ruler named Lugalusumgal at the time of Sargon and Naram-Sin. Dumuzi's name is a mystery, however. As indicated in the subscript, this song is a sagara, which has no known meaning, and a tigi song, a kettledrum song, for Inanna. Often the subscript indicates which instruments are used as an accompaniment to a song, such as, this is a balbal song for Inanna, or this is a tigi song for Inanna, but the difference between these names is only sometimes evident. In music, a blog is an instrument, drums and kettledrums probably. According to Sefati, All these songs revolve around love, courtship and the fertility of fields and cattle. With the word Balbal meaning to speak, these songs may be viewed as dialogues. While some chants take the form of dialogue, others do not. In Balbal songs, more than two speakers are present, or a choir might react and respond, and the speaker may deliver lines as if in a play. Sacred marriage celebrations may have included Balbal songs as part of a cultic function according to Sefati, During the third millennium, Dumuzi was not uncommon, and it means either good child or righteous child, or it may be an abbreviation of Lugal Dumuzi, which means the king is a good child. It needs to be clarified where the name Dumuzi, as a lover of Inanna, originates. However, he may have been a historical ruler of Uruk, and these songs are about his earlier marriage to Inanna. Due to her relationship with Gilgamesh and Enmakar, two legendary Urukian city rulers, Inanna had no connection with Dumuzi, a city ruler in ancient times. Dumuzi, the elder, lived in Khwara or Kulab, a district of Uruk, and a temple dedicated to him was located in Batibira, a district of Uruk. Enheduanna wrote a hymn about this temple, describing Inanna's sacred bed with girina plants and the shepherd who traveled with Inanna's sheep, Dumuzi. According to the Sumerian king list, He was automatically Inanna's righteous consort because he was Uruk's city ruler. Dumuzi becomes the human lover of Inanna when he is younger and older. Wedding Songs The folklore tradition is evident in many elements of these songs. Regular wedding festivities are included. If Dumuzi wants to ask her mother for her hand in marriage instead of her father, if Dumuzi wants to ask her mother for her hand in marriage instead of her father, Dumuzi should ask her mother. Inanna's house cannot be entered by knocking even though he brought wedding gifts. As part of her preparation, she takes a bath, washes her body with soap and applies perfume. As she poses for the camera in her royal clothes, Tug 3 Pala 3, with black coal on her eyes and gathers up her hair, she puts on her royal clothes, Tug 3 Pala 3. She wears a bracelet and lapis lazuli beads around her neck. During the medieval era, Young lovers were known to imitate the love play between the goddess Inanna and the god En with folk songs. The bride and groom are still addressed as king and queen at Middle Eastern wedding feasts. Dumuzi and Inanna were the names of the bride and groom. An Inanna song describes how choirs chanted and danced all day during the festivities. The role of U.T.U. in these songs differs from that of the sun god of myth, which shines all day and travels at night through the underworld. Inanna is told by a laden Dumuzi that he's brought her everything she desires, five items for her sister, ten items for her sister. As a term of endearment, Inanna calls Dumuzi her brother. When Inanna pours wine into Dumuzi's mouth when he enters the palace, he will be gladdened by the musicians playing there. Behold, our breasts have become firm. Inanna, also known as Baba, replies using a royal We form suitable for a goddess. Dumuzi brought lambs, kids, goats, and ewes as wedding gifts. As a result of our nakedness, hair has sprouted. It's dance time. Don't be shy. The bridegroom has received Baba. Let us rejoice. Baba, let's celebrate my nakedness together. Dancing is fun. Feel free to ask. Once that's done, he'll be happy. Inanna's bailable song has an antiphon. Let him bring, let him bring. I pray he brings it abundantly. At the end of each line of Inanna's balbeil, Directions are given for performing the song. According to the songs, agricultural fertility is stimulated by Inanna and Dumuzi's union. There are constant references to blossoming orchards, abundant vegetables, and copious syrup flowing from dates in this figurative language with obvious sexual connotations. Like well-watered lettuce, it grows and flourishes. He loved my shaded steppe garden, filled with blooms, his favorite. My barley was full of allure in its furrows, like well-watered lettuce. My favorite is the apple tree, which bears fruits like well-watered lettuce. The honey man, honey man sweetens me ever. My lord, the honey man of the goddess, my favorite of his mother, his hand honey, his foot honey, sweetens me ever. Those honey sweet limbs sweeten me to the core, navel, ring, my sweet things, my favorite of his mother. My thighs are fair and my arm is elevated, like well-watered lettuce. There are two songs of Inanna called Balbail. Whether Inanna is not marrying beneath her station when she chooses a shepherd as her husband is an important question to ask. Even though Dumuzi is valuable, she states that he is worthless without her family behind him, her mother Ningal, her sister Ningikuga, and her father Sin, without whom he would become a wanderer in the dark paths of the steppe. She throws him in the face. In an attempt to soothe her, Dumuzi defends his family and says they are as vital as hers. Enki, whom Dumuzi calls his father, is the same as Inanna's father, Sin, the moon god, and Dumuzi's mother, Dutur, the same as Inanna's mother, Ningal. UTU stands on an equal footing with Dumuzi, according to him. Upon confirming that Dumuzi's family matches Inanna's, he offers to plow the Zuba stones for her. The little Zuba stones will be planted as seeds, the big stones will be piled up as grain, a gleaming stone, adorned our neck of Inanna's, asks whom he will plow. The little ones of the lean stones. On our pure breast gleam the large stones of the uba. Damausum Gal'ana responds to Nugig. For my wife, a Nugig, he will plow for her. Inanna, my holy priestess, will be plowed for by him. One of her uba stones will indeed plow the uba stones. A stone called Damausum will plow up the stones. There is no apparent meaning to the term uba stone. It could either refer to solid stones that reflect brightness or to all stones that emit a bright shining light. Our hymns to Nininsina, whose name is similar to Inanna's Venus Star, recount how the goddess Nininsina invented these stones and ploughed and sowed the jewels within them. This expression has been interpreted as an allusion to gender by several scholars. According to Sefati, the groom's preparation of adornments for his bride is a metaphor. When the seeds are thrown into the furrow during plowing season, this threading of beads is compared to throwing them individually. In the subscript, it is stated that the hymn is dedicated to Inanna. The term's meaning needs to be clarified. This song may be accompanied by it. Nugig and Nubar are the names given to Inanna in this song. Nubar occurs sporadically in Akkadian texts. Although dictionaries translate the Sumerian word Nubar as temple lover, this is controversial a racy encounter. There is no moral taboo in the hymns which describe the lover's relationship in an open and uninhibited manner. As she gazes upon the bed dripping with honey in the hymn Dumuzi and Inanna, Inanna replies that her brother brought her home and allowed her to lie down on it. As I set my eyes upon that place, she said, I met my beloved man, it was his pleasure to have me, and he rejoiced alone over me. When the brother invited me into his home, Time after time, time, my brothers of beautiful eyes did so fifty times, and I stood there like a powerless person for him, a bed dripping with honey. My sweet little brother next to my heart, time after time, making sounds. I was dumb and silent in front of him, trembling from below, placing my hands on my brother's hips. Set me free, my sister, set me free. I spent the day with my precious sweet there. Yes, please, I want to go to the palace with you, my beloved sister. According to the last sentence, Dumuzi lives in a palace, which indicates that these balbales were composed by one of the women of the Ur-3 kings and originated in the court circles. We are still dealing with familiar folk songs when we understand palace as a metaphor used by the shepherd for his sheep pen. Although Dumuzi and Inanna are not mentioned in the balbali that Sefati translates as the women's oath, the subscript indicates that it is a balbal bal of Inanna, Jacobson describes a conversation between a customer and a barmaid in a tavern. He praises the hostess's physical beauty, glassy eyes, and the variety of beer she offers, and he flatteringly calls her the child of a king, Dumu Lugalla. According to Sephati, the woman is asking her brother to swear not to touch a strange woman, which is a request for him to take a vow of chastity. Jacobson's translation indicates that the woman asks the stranger, who lives in another town, to swear he is not an enemy spy. The oath is taken inquisitively. Your right hand should be placed on my nakedness. It would be best if you lay your left hand on my head. Your lips have been firmly grasped in your mouth when you have brought your mouth close to mine. As a result, you will swear an oath to me, the oath of the women of beautiful eyes, my brother, the sweet allure of my blossoming apple tree garden. It is sweet to be attracted to you, my blossoming one, A fruitful garden of Celtis trees, your allure is sweet. Dumuzi abzu, sweet is your allure by your own virtue. Featuring a lapis lazuli diadem, your allure is sweet. Inanna's balbel song. This is how ancient oaths were taken, as in the Old Testament when Abraham asks his servant to swear that he will not seek a wife for his son among the Canaanites and put his hand under his thigh to confirm the promise. Jacobson sees this type of oath as an erotic ploy while Safati believes it is a vow of chastity before the marriage is contracted. A metaphor for the male member with pubic hair in the garden below is implied by Jacobson's allusion to the apple tree in the poem above. Similarly, pillars of alabaster encrusted with lapis lazuli are metaphors for male genitalia. Similarly, the invitation to go into the garden and planting trees are metaphors for sexual intercourse in other Ur 3 texts. Following this line of thought makes it easy to understand the significance of the lapis lazuli crown on top of the pillar. Whether these songs belong to the same courtly milieu is questionable, as they became franker and less refined in the second millennium. Folk songs and hymns for the king are no longer straightforward, but infused with vulgar verses and magical powers. Dumuzi's death. As Inanna and Dumuzi marry, Dumuzi is killed, ending their relationship. In the Lamentation, Dumuzi's sister Gestin and plays the heroine role, while Inanna plays no part. However, in the myth of Inanna and Belulu, Dumuzi is assassinated on the steppe, while Inanna waits anxiously for her husband at home. Dream of Dumuzi. In the poem's beginning, the narrator tells us that Dumuzi has set out for the steppe with his shepherd's stick on his shoulder, awash with doubts and misgivings, sobbing all the time-time with tears in his eyes. His origin is unknown, but he likely left Uruk to meet his sister, Gestin Anna, in the sheep's pen. After being forced to leave the city, he feels abandoned and lonely. He fears he will meet his death on the steppe, now that he has been forced to leave the city's protection. If he should die, he cries to the marshes, the crabs and the river frogs for help. Unless his mother weeps five or ten times, Dumuzi fears he won't be buried decently and won't receive offerings after his death. In a state of panic after waking up from a terrifying nightmare, he lies down to sleep, heavily depressed. Bringing my sister will make me feel better, he cries out. I don't know what dreams mean, but please bring me my sister. My dream will be related to her. She immediately rushes to join him as Dumuzi tells her about his dream. A dream, my sister, a dream. In my dream, rushes were rising for me. Rushes kept growing for me, and a single reed shook its head at me. I was being separated from one of the twin reeds. I was surrounded by tall trees in the forest. My holy coals were poured with water. I was removing the cover from my holy churn. I lost my shepherd's stick and holy drinking cup, which had been torn down from the peg where it hung. A falcon caught a sparrow at the reed fence and an owl took a lamb from the sheep house. They dragged their dark beards in the dust for me and their thick legs scratched the ground. No milk was poured into the churns. They were lying on their sides, Dumuzid was dead, the sheepfold was haunted and the drinking cups were lying on their sides. Gestinana is frightened by the dream because it predicts Dumuzi's imminent death and she would have been better off not interpreting it, but she does nevertheless. In his dream, rushes rose up against him as bandits ambushed him. His mother shook her head for him as the reed shook its head at him. You and I are the twin reeds whose roots were being separated from each other. Gestinana said. Evil men behind the tall trees in the forest are catching you within walls. Water poured over your holy coals will transform the sheepfold into a house of silence. Water poured over your holy coals will transform the sheepfold into a house of silence. You should assume that the evil man will bring the holy churn inside in his hands since the cover of your holy churn has been removed. You fall off your mother's lap when your holy drinking cup falls off the peg where it hangs. The demons will burn your shepherd's stick if it disappears from you. A man who hits you on the cheek is an owl that takes a lamb from a sheep's house. The giant demon coming down from the sheep's house is the falcon catching a sparrow on the reed fence. The churns on their sides mean that Dumuzi is dead, and the sheepfold haunted means his hands will be bound in handcuffs and his arms will be bound in fetters. As a result of your male goats dragging their dark beards in the dust, my hair will whirl around like a hurricane for you. My fingernails will lacerate my cheeks as if with a boxwood needle for you since your rams scratch the earth with their thick legs. She barely even has time to speak these words when Dumuzi summons her to watch the top of the mound. Nevertheless, Dumuzi cautions his sister before she leaves that she should lacerate her heart, liver, clothing and crotch as these are gestures that express mourning and apparently Dumuzi hopes his sister will be able to fool his enemies. Strangely, these actions anticipate Dumuzi's unavoidable fate, and she is even mourning her brother's death while he is still alive. Having the wood to bind hands and the ropes with which they bind prisoners in their hands, Dumuzi tells his sister that she will be able to recognize his pursuers easily. Evil men arrive on a river barge over the water. Gestinana look around the mound. A friend warns her, They are coming for him already. Gestinana cries to her brother, My brother, your demons are after you. Don't be afraid to dive into the grass. His whereabouts must not be revealed to them, and Dumuzi says he will duck into the ditches of Arali, which means both step and underworld, indicating his imminent death. She assures her brother that she will not betray him. May your dog devour me. Your black dog, your shepherd dog, your noble dog, your lordly dog. May your dog devour me. Likewise, Dumuzi asks his friend, who swears not to betray him, to make the same covenant I will tell them your whereabouts and may your dogs devour me. May your black dogs, shepherd dogs, noble dogs and lordly dogs devour me. Gestinana and her friends say if they don't redeem their pledge, they may die and become carrion for the dogs. It is not revealed who Dumuzi's friend is. They are described as demons and have an attitude toward food and drink, indicating they have come from the underworld. No gifts are accepted, no wife embraces, no kisses for dear children, no chewing, sharp-tasting garlic, no fish or leeks are eaten. Even though the pursuers of Dumuzi are clearly demons, they are later described as men from Adad, Akiak, Uruk, Ur and Nippur. The king, Lugal, is presumably Dumuzi. Thistles grow in dried-up waters and thorns grow in stinky waters, which is why Alster relates the myth to recruitment officers' despicable character. These men were defined by Ulster as visitors who abused the rules of hospitality by passing on information to the palace, by keeping their hands on the table and their tongues in the palace, according to the proverb. The enemies of Dumuzi seize Gestinana and attempt to bribe her with gifts, but she rejects them, declaring, whoever heard a sister tell their brother's whereabouts? A ditch of water and a grain field is then used to bribe Dumuzi's friend, The friend, however, reveals Dumuzi's hiding place. He has dropped into the ditches of Arali, but I don't know where he is.